to the Wellbeing Rebellion, the podcast that's changing workplace cultures for good. We're your hosts, Ngazi Wella and Obehi Alafoje. Let's get this rebellion started. In this episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion, I'm joined by Sam Booth, Chief Executive at Pro Manchester. Pro Manchester is the largest business development organization in Greater Manchester and the Northwest. With a dedicated, hardworking team, Pro Manchester is really well connected, forward thinking, and fast paced, and it can help raise companies' profile in the Greater Manchester region and provide solutions to all their business development needs. Sam is a firm believer that good employment is good for business. And that includes organizations prioritizing their employee well-being and mental health strategies. I can't wait for you to hear what she's got to say, including some really valuable insights on role modeling well-being as a leader. Let's get started. Thank you so much, Sam Booth, for joining us on the Wellbeing Rebellion. Welcome. Thank you. Are you nervous? Um, no, I'm not, because as far as I see this conversation is that I'm having a, a really, really good conversation about something really important with a friend of mine. So, no, I'm oh, not. You, you shouldn't be nervous, or perhaps you should. No, I'm just... I don't know. You might you might drop some scary questions in there, but let's hope not. <laughs> I hope not. It's not mastermind. Is the well-being rebellion. <laughs> I would definitely rubbish if it was mastermind. <laughs> yeah, me too. I don't even like watching it, I'll be honest. I find it too highbrow for me, but there you go. Um, but I'll start with an easy question. Okay. From a personal perspective, because obviously we talk a lot about mental health and well-being on this podcast, I wanted to know if you have any experience of poor mental health or supporting people who have struggled with their mental wellness. Yes. And lots is the answer to that Um, from a personal perspective and also from supporting others. So if I go to my personal um, experience, um, that's the first time that I really, really began to become very aware of of my mental state and my mental health was I've been at Pro Manchester for 16 years now. And I was probably four or five years into, into my career here. And we were very, very, those who know Pro Manchester, it's a very small, tight-knit team. Um, and, you know, if somebody is off sick or, or goes off on maternity leave, rather than, you know, kind of do any recruitment or bring in any extra support, it was just kind of the, the, the member of the team. would The team would join in, jump in and, and, and take over those responsibilities. Um, and at one point, we had several people on maternity leave and we had um, somebody else off um, with, with sickness. So I picked up an awful lot of that load and I was working 16 hour days for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. Mm-hmm. To which at the time I thought I can do this and I wanted to do this because I really wanted to impress to the powers that be that I was capable mm-hmm. uh, and all of those sorts of things. And um, it got to two weeks before um, the, the one of the ladies that was off on the maternity leave was due to return and I completely fell apart. I, I came into work one day and I just could not, I just burst into, something tipped me over and I can't actually remember what that actual tipping point was, but mm-hmm. something happened and I burst into tears and I couldn't recover. I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And um, 
I couldn't stop and I, I rang my mum and I just said I, I don't know what to do and I, I basically I fled I fled home to my mum's um, for her support um, to which she then took me to the doctors who then you know obviously then signed me off work actually for for a week or so with with severe stress and um, and I did only take that week off um, but it took me that entire week. It took me a long time. In fact, longer than that. But I did end up going back to work after about a week. But um, it took me a long time to to come down from that. And I and I really scared myself because where my where my mind was going and how obsessive I was becoming about the most irrelevant, inconsequential things at that time, which seemed like such a huge big deal. Things like. Um, going home to clean my bathroom. I must go and clean my bathroom, mum, because um, I, I, it's, it's filthy and I've not been there for a few days. And these things that just really don't matter, but because of where my mental state was, it became, you know, it was these huge big deals. So that was my first ever experience. I'd suffered panic attacks prior to that, but I'd, mm-hmm. I'd sort of self-managed them if that makes any sense. And I taught myself some breathing exercises to, or taking, sitting down and having a glass of water and calming myself down and almost managing to, and and talking myself into, it's okay, it's just adrenaline and it'll go away in a minute and you'll calm down. Um, So I'd sort of previous, but I'd never really associated with, with my mental state and my mental health until that tipping point where I just couldn't come back from it and it took me a long time to recover um second I mean the next big one that I think anybody probably can identify with listening to this in more recent times will have been during that COVID period where I think we all hugely struggled with such a uncertain kind of um uh, and and ever-changing evolving situation that, that none of us were in control of and being forced into adapting and moving so so quickly to, to to the environment that we were in and and also dealing with um potential you know um circumstance with illness within your team within within your families within your friends within the people that you care about um and then having to carry an events business that could no longer function the way that it normally would and its team um it took its toll and at the time again we just plow on we plow on we plow on and it's only when I look back and I reflect on some of that and some of the things and some of the decisions that I made during that time that I really think about where I was from a in in a from a mental uh place where where I actually was with all of that and some of it was it was very dark and it wasn't it wasn't a great place to be at all I think your description of um frankly overload of burnout or close to burnout is something that most people will recognize um, who work in this modern frantic workplace because um, just before we came on air I was telling you about how I've been working like an absolute loony madwoman I think that's not very PC but there you go I've been working crazy hours the 16 hour days five six days a week traveling here there and everywhere and what did we say to each other I said I've just got to keep going through it keep going (laughs) through it and you said yeah just keep swimming and that has become the modern mantra you just keep going just keep Mm. going and you and I both know that you can't yeah you can't keep going at some point 
each of us will face the fact that we are mere mortals and we not will. everything is possible. And if we do not respond to the body's early warning signs, then it will shock us. Yeah. Um, just how aggressive the body will get with trying to put the brakes on, right? Mm. So what is it that drove you to get involved with an organization like Pro Manchester, which is what I love, by the way. No, and just I've described a little bit about it in the intro, but you, in your own words, what is Pro Manchester, what are you guys about and why are you involved at the helm? Okay, so, well, um, so yes, Pro Manchester is the business development organisation that represents the business community in and around Greater Manchester. And I was really fortunate to join Pro Manchester a time, at a time when we were looking to expand the, uh, the activity programme. And my, my role specifically was to create a young professionals network. Um, so it was all about creating a platform for for younger professionals, people who are fresh into their careers from whatever kind of kind of pathway they'd come into that um, to get together, to do some networking, to build their networks. And I was 24 years of age. I'd moved to Manchester and I get a job where I get to basically organize events and socials with all of the people that are exactly the same position as I am. They're new into their role and they're wanting to, to meet people and, and, and build those connections and build those relationships. So what a wonderful place to start, to be honest. And from that point onwards, I hugely fell in love with it. And I really understood the power and the strength of building relationships and connections and actually being surrounded by wonderful, wonderful people and, and, the, and collectively the great things that you can do together. So that is probably one of the reasons that I have been there for 16 years. I had absolutely no intentions of becoming the chief executive when I joined to, to run that future pro, what we now call our future pro Manchester program. Um, but love and passion and, and absolute faith and belief in everything that we do and the fact that we know that we can keep continuing to do and do better. And we have that power at our fingertips to really, really kind of instill change and good change um, is a wonderful place to be. And, and I, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Uh, I love that expression of good change because I, 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 well, I think that's what I'm about as well is there's change, but there's, there's change for the worse, which a lot of what happens outside of us seems to be inflation and you know nhs is breaking and schools are breaking and streets are breaking and but then there's good change and yeah. i like to be part of that good trouble what good what trouble, are the good yes. yeah well that's what I, I i think sometimes i think of myself as a bit of a uh, a shit stirrer <laughs> a troublemaker because <laughs> i do i know i poke i poke because if i see something i need to say it it's the ADHD in me or it's just the nosy parker in me whatever but um I like it to be good trouble trouble with a purpose for making people better and yeah. I wondered well what's the good trouble you want to get into this is why I love working with you because you do <laughs> poke and prod and ask the right questions that we all need to be asked because sometimes we're so blindly moving ahead doing what we need to do in our very very busy lives 
that we're not taking into account all of the other things that should be considered in our decision-making process. And I love that about you. So, you know, I'm quite happy to talk about our conversation around our Made in Manchester awards that happened this year and our lack of of diversity in in the winners' roundup. Although we had great diversity in the initial submissions and nominations, the actual winners' roundup wasn't that reflective of a, of a more inclusive culture and environment. And you raised that with me, and I'm happy that you did, that you actually said, you know, and said sort of point, you know, really called me out on it to say, we can do better with this, because absolutely we can, uh, and we should. And it's people like you that are asking those questions and provoking those responses that are going to make a whole lot of difference to this wonderful world that we that we live in. So I bloody hope so, Sam. I, I, I honestly couldn't I, this I, I wholeheartedly believe in all of this that you know this is what we need to do we need to ask those difficult questions we need to cause good trouble to make really really positive things happen and as long as it's done the right way and it's not aggressive and you know and and, and actually withholds the agenda it actually moves it forward then then it, it, it can only be seen as a very very good thing a very positive thing so how's Pro Manchester going to move the agenda forward? And I guess for the benefit of people um, who who don't know, it, it is more about, this is my own, I don't want to call it a vendetta, but I just don't know the right word. It's my own <laughs> personal mission based yeah. on my story to make um, not just Manchester, but the, but the the business world, the working world, more not diverse because there's plenty of diversity already that just exists but more equitable at all levels and i'm just seeing a great polarization still between um races particularly when it comes to things like awards like the mima and i was at another award where there was in like uh i'd say 10 categories with on average 10 nominees, there was one black nominee. That was it. Mm. And I just thought, how can that be? And I went to the award ceremony as a guest and there were, I think, four or five black people invited to the room, which held about a thousand. Yet, every body serving was black or Asian mm. bar five people. And it, I just, I thought to myself, if someone was to take a black and white or sepia photograph of this evening and label it 1964, no one would bat an island. It looks mm-hmm. and feels exactly the same. I shouldn't be walking into a room and still feel like the token. I did when I was at school. That was normal 30 years ago. Mm. It it isn't anymore. And it's not acceptable. It's not acceptable to me that I so rarely see black people sitting on boards of businesses. And that whenever I challenge people, they are telling me that it's a pipeline issue that there aren't enough black or uh, mixed, diverse, ethnic um, 
leaders in business who are board ready. And I'm thinking, how can that be the case? We've been educated alongside you for half a century. So that can't be the case. Absolutely can't be the case that in all of us, you can't find anybody who's ready. And then they say, well, you know, it's lack of um, qualifications or experience. Qualifications, absolutely not. Black women in particular are often overqualified for every position. We're overeducated. We've got more higher degrees. Mm. Lack of experience. Well, as I concluded when I was arguing this with someone about um, our ability to do the job, it's about the opportunities afforded to us to do it. So, yeah, I, it's my it's my mission really to do it, and I'm very glad that Pro Manchester will side with us to affect real change. Thank you for bringing it up because I um, it's not an easy topic for everybody to talk about. But it is one we need to start getting comfortable being uncomfortable if we're actually going to make a difference. Well, that's then that goes back to the point of having someone like you that's prepared to ask the probing, difficult questions which make people feel uncomfortable. And that actually, if you were bringing it back to the well-being piece as well, is the most important bit because when we're talking about well-being in the workplace – it's up to business leaders to actually start to identify where the problems are and find out where the issues are and what they can do to better support their employees. And that might mean asking some difficult questions, being in some uncomfortable places, uncovering some quite uncomfortable truths. But it needs to be done if we are going to effectively affect any positive change. So people like you who are trailblazers and actually champions for these causes are vital in making sure that this happens. Do you think that um, business leaders are ready to face that level of scrutiny and discomfort? No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no. Okay, I, I retract that slightly in the sense that I think some are. I think some are really are, um, and I think they are quite progressive in their approach, and they are have a genuinely decent intent to do better, um, and they are they are striving forward. But some just some some maybe in more traditional kind of firms are are struggling a little bit with it. Mm. I mean, you think about um, COVID, okay? For an example of pre-COVID. Everybody had the ability to work to to instill technology into their businesses so that people could work from home and have more of a flexible working environment um, and in a hybrid model. But you think about some of those more traditional firms just wouldn't do it. They would not do it until the universe forced their hand Mm. to say, well, you can't go into the office now because there's this global pandemic going on. So you've got you've got to have your workforce working at home which then miraculously opened their eyes to, oh, actually, this this is this whole new world and way of working that actually really suits us. And it hasn't made people less productive and it hasn't dropped our sales and it hasn't had a huge impact on our overall profit, in fact, possibly something better. Um, and, it's, and, it's, and it's awful that it has to take such a severe intervention 
to open the eyes and help the leaders to say, okay, well, let's look at this then. This is something that we can work work for going forward. And look what a positive impact it is having on our people and on our working practices and the business as a whole. So are they ready yet? Some are. Some are trying their best to, to, to fight through the Myra and, and make it work and, and be the champions and the leaders in that. And... So, but some, but some sadly are, are lagging behind and, and need more, more convincing and more support. Well, I was just going to say, you've got a, a lot of contact with a lot of these organisations. How can we convince them? It's a really, really, really good question. It's, it's, it's education, isn't it? It's about getting them in the room to, to have these conversations, to help them to feel more comfortable with being uncomfortable and to address all of this and help them to realize actually the world is is changing we are heading into you call it the well-being rebellion as your podcast but it is this new revolution of the way that we work and how we work and who we work with and everything that is it's it's all it's all on the horizon and it's all about to change and if business leaders don't understand that and don't get on board with that they are going to get left behind and they will then fail so it is talking to them about the severity of this situation, um, helping them to understand that and understand actually that if they're, if they're going to stay in, in, in an archaic world that, that, that no longer exists, that, that, that neither are they and neither are their businesses. Hmm. And you'd think that was motivation enough. Yeah, if well, you're not going to do it for the moral reason of we just actually like people and don't want to make them sick working for us, then the idea that, well, we better get ahead of this because we want to have businesses which are still relevant in the next 10 years. You'd think that's motivation enough, but for some it doesn't, it doesn't seem to have clicked yet. And, um, uh, it, you know, and I do think the only force strong enough to make those business leaders see sense is the market force. And when we as consumers start demanding more of our suppliers, of the businesses we purchase from, yeah. uh, when we dial up the importance of um, ESG, maybe they will start to, to, to notice. And also when we apply more scrutiny, I find still that a lot of people are very good at tick box absolutely yeah you know they make a big splash about what they do whether it's in their edi policy or their well-being policy a donated to this charity and then you look at the detail Mm. and it's a tiny drop in a big ocean they're yet they're making it seem as if it's the whole ocean yeah and so yeah we need to apply some more rigor into discerning who is genuinely looking after people and looking after their interests and who is not. Yeah. Uh, and that brings me to the next question, which was about the partnership that, that Pro Manchester has with the Greater Manchester Good Employment Charter. Yes. Okay. That was at their awards last night, actually. Oh, well, I didn't get an invitation. I, I, <laughs> I, I don't worry. No, it's okay. I have other things to do. I do have a social life. So well, I did. I did attend as a guest rather than anything. I wasn't. We weren't part of organising well, it. No, but no, yes, no, we... no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's okay. I didn't exclude you. I promised. I, I believe you, Sam. I believe you. <laughs> um, but how does that uh, alliance 
that um, partnership? How is it contributing towards well-being becoming a priority for employers? So, so the Good Employment Charter. I mean, I've I've been a huge supporter of it from the from its inception, really. So we became supporters immediately. We we've now become members. Um, and for those that don't know it, it, it identifies the sort of seven key principles, best practice for for good employment, and and a huge part of that chunk is the is the health and, and well being. Um, and in its and it's looking and it's delving into businesses to try and understand a little bit better about about what they are doing about this particular agenda item. And so it is really leading the fore, really, because there is nothing else like, or there was nothing else like this, um, that was really giving businesses that's. Um, it's, it's ident- identifying what needs to happen to be to be a good employer, um, but then also drilling down into some training and into some advice and some education into into what businesses can be doing and should be doing um, to better support their employees. So it's the idea is it's a movement. We're going to try and you know enlist as many businesses as possible to get onto this road to basically strive to be better businesses. Um, you know, and it's going to be one of those things that hopefully when it builds so much traction, it will get to the point where actually if you're not part of this, you know, you're you're going to be again, you're going to get left behind and you're you're going to you're going to be the, the, the whole fear of missing out, you know, actually all of these other ones. But you're going to miss out on all of that wonderful talent, all of that access to all of those great people out there because they're not going to come and work, want to work for your business. Because you're not, you know, you're you're not accredited in, in, in and, and you don't have that support and you've not educated yourselves and you've not reached yourself to that next level as actually making sure that you are looking after the people within your organisation, which fundamentally are the most important part. In, in a world where actually we're in a bit of an employee market at the moment and you can get to go and choose to work for a business that you know has good standards and looks after its people or actually one that's just trucking on and just seeing how well they can do. It's a no-brainer as to which choice you're going to make. Hmm. You're almost answering these questions as if you've read them, which she <laughs> hasn't. She hasn't because, but you've moved swiftly onto the next question I wanted to ask you, which was, um, you you have a habit as a as a leader of always speaking highly of your employees on LinkedIn posts. You really seem to appreciate the work that your team, and I know it's a small one, but it's a, it's a mighty one, um, do. And you, through your LinkedIn posts and comments and things, I, I can see how close you are. How important do you think that it is to build up that kind of habit in leadership roles of getting to know and genuinely, um, I can't think of a more eloquent way of saying it, big up <laughs> your stuff. Um, and what impact do you see that it has on the well-being of your employees in terms it's, of motivation and the business in terms of productivity? It's absolutely vital. Um, I've, I've, all, I've always said it, that, and I mentioned it just a second ago, that our team are our biggest asset. They are the most important thing about our business. Without them, it does not. It does not. Um, it, it will achieve nothing. It will do nothing. So it is vital that we look after them, that we understand everything about them um, and, and spend that time with them. I'm a, a very consultative leader. I always have been, um, which means that I will have ideas, but I will then take them back to talk to my team, to to flash those ideas in front of them, to get their input and their thoughts on that as well. And I welcome um, any kind of feedback that they might give me. I have uh, We operate a very open and honest policy within Pro Manchester. My door is always, always open. 
for my team to come and talk to me about absolutely anything, whether it's work related, it's personally related. And I will do my absolute utmost. And I hope to, I really strive to create this environment where they feel that they can come and they can talk to me about anything at, at all times. Because as I say, what's going on with them, I, the more I know about what's going on with them, the more I know I, where, where what areas I need to provide them the right support in. Mm-hmm. And that might be from a personal perspective and that might be from a work perspective. They're not just an employee to me. They are a really, really valuable person within my organisation that I have a duty of care for inside and outside of work. Um, and I don't want to be an overbearing boss and I need to know everything about what's going on with you all the time. It's, it's, it's for them to... Hope for me to create the environment where they can come and talk to me um, and for them to be take the, you know, the, the responsibility to come and have those conversations with me when perhaps they're just a seed of a problem. But let's get let's catch them before they even become anything else so that we can deal with that and, and head it off at the past before it becomes anything else. From a value perspective, I hope that including them in all of that quite key decision-making process of where that where our business goes and what direction we take it in, and whether that's what, what bits they want to be involved in that, is of the utmost importance. You know, I, I want them to come on this journey with me. I, when people come to Pro Manchester, I want them to stay for sixteen years plus, like myself. You know, I want them to love, live, breathe that organisation and their and their daily because it's a big part of their life. You spend far too much time at work to not really enjoy enjoy it and be on that road. So I want them not only to enjoy their every day at work, but I want them to stay with us for as long as possible and come on the journey with me uh, and the whole team at Pro Manchester as much as possible. Lovely. You could give a lecture on leadership, I think, Sam, with that. <laughs> not uh, sure about that. I, well, I, I, I remember when I studied management and, okay, yes, I'm going back a little bit, people, don't have to rub it in. But when I studied management at uni and I even did um, some courses at the London Business School and we were talking about leadership development and nobody ever, to my ADHD memory uh, mind, nobody ever talked about the importance of genuinely knowing your people in anywhere near as a level of eloquence as you just did. And that is, that is the route to being able to manage your employees' well-being, is knowing them, caring about them, being there for them, being inquisitive about them, supporting and championing them, regardless of whether the issue is at home or at work. It's just... Like I said, the don't be a dick policy. That's yeah. it. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. So, so what's one piece of advice that you'd give to our audience about the importance of creating and demanding well-being cultures in the workplace? The best piece of advice is just to um, make yourself really accessible to everybody at all points. I think, you know, and and... Be kind. I, I adore my team. They're, they're absolutely fantastic. Be really sympathetic, empathetic. You know, they're all work, walking in their own shoes and you can't walk in their shoes for them. But you can listen and you can care and you can do what you can. And if you if you lead that from the top, I also share with them. I, I, I shared a very personal story with you just a moment ago, didn't I, Ngarzi, in mm. that I, I, I lost a, a friend to suicide quite recently, which was a real shock to me. And I found out about that literally two minutes before I walked into the office. Um, 
and it and it and it shook me to the core, as you can you can well imagine, to the point where I I I, I couldn't really control how I felt and my emotions at that particular time, and my entire team mm. saw that. Now I don't see that as a weakness. Every single one of them just came over and gave me the biggest hug, which was the most loveliest thing um, I could have asked from any of them. Um, and I think that openness to be quite vulnerable, quite you know, just a human being in front of them is vital to helping them to actually come to you, to come and talk to you, to feel comfortable in an environment, to come and share all of that with you. So that would be my piece of advice is walk the talk. You know, if you're if you're asking them to 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 be open and honest and come and talk to you, then you also need to do that with them too. Love it. Final question. As a fellow well-being rebel, which I know now you truly, truly are, what is the one change that you want to see implemented in workplace well-being? I would like to see. Um, well, I would like more businesses to to actually want to get out there and educate themselves within this area I don't want them to be doing the tokenistic fruit bowls on a Friday or or I don't know pizzas on a on a Monday whatever those these sorts of things might be which Mm. are are considered to be part of their well-being policies I want them to be proper strategic well thought out educated um actually consulting with the people that really understand this and make it part of that that's what I would like to see I would like it you know to become a huge part of the the whole structure within that organization for them to go above and beyond what they can what they think they can do um and actually really really um instill some really really positive actions and structure within their organizations to make this better for people they need to understand this subject matter better we all do we're all learning. We're not perfect. I mean, I know I know you've been very, very kind to me in saying that I've I've articulated some of these things quite well, but I've made mistakes along the way too, and I've really learned from them and they've been they've been painful, you know, and I'm I'm quite happy to to be open about about that, you know, that I far from get all of this right. But I'm always striving to to be better, to do better. And and I'm I'm quite happy to to sit and have those uncomfortable conversations if if the outcome makes a real positive change within Pro Manchester mm. or makes a positive change for anybody else. Love it. Thank you so much, Sam Booth from Pro Manchester. Uh, let's get into some more good trouble. Yeah, let's do it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion. If you liked what you just heard, please share it with your colleagues, follow us on LinkedIn. The link will be in the show note and generally show us some love. We want to build a whole army of fellow rebels who want to create positive workplaces for everyone. Will you join the rebellion? See you next time.